The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. This morning, I'd like to continue our brief little series, possibly, uh, on getting back to some basics and just being reminded of the eternal salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. I, I know that sometimes I, I really enjoy Bible study. I really enjoy digging into the, uh, the deep things, and uh, I am a very structured person, and my my series of messages reflect that, I believe. Uh, but sometimes I get too locked into my series um, and maybe don't uh, follow the leadership of the Spirit as much as I should. But I know that from time to time we certainly need to just take a moment to bask in the love and the mercy and the grace of God. And I just want us to do that for a little bit. Uh, not sure how long we'll spend on this. But in Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, kind of making our way through the book of Ephesians, I just want us to meditate on God's love for us, His choice of us by nothing more than His free and sovereign grace, and probably later on uh, looking at the exhortations to practical godliness that are incumbent upon us because of God's great love toward us. So I want to go ahead and read um, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, and we'll actually go to Ephesians chapter 2 to kind of introduce those thoughts, but I want to read Ephesians chapter 1 first. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us in him before the world, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved." in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, I've heard uh, some people say that election and predestination are some of the, um, I guess you could say, almost master's level courses in the Bible. They're, they're the advanced learning uh, now, people in other denominations say that. People read Ephesians 1 and they've never heard about election and they go talk to their preacher 
and uh, hate to say it, but they're usually trying to kind of cover it up. Well, that's not for you. That's that's uh, the secret things of God. That's the secret will of God. Uh, and I know it says that God chose us, but that's not really what that means. Uh, that's an advanced level of learning uh, that you haven't attained to yet. But actually, isn't it interesting that Ephesians, which is really a general epistle, if you see in the first verse right there, <clears throat> it's written specifically to the church at Ephesus, but then it's, a, it's a, addressed in a more broad way, not just to the saints at Ephesus, but to the faithful in Christ Jesus. You know, quite a few of these New Testament epistles they're definitely written to that individual church, and they are dealing with individual problems in that individual church, right? I mean, we think about the Corinthian letter, no doubt, right? All the problems that they had. Well, I mean, we learn lessons from that, but primarily, he is just delivering a scathing rebuke to that individual church in Galatia, and uh, in, in Corinth. And then the Galatians, uh, similar circumstance, they had problems. He wrote to them directly about their problems. Uh, you have a little bit of that in Colossians as well. But Ephesians, if you read this book, there's no real rebukes, right? There's no uh, problems that he's directly addressing with the Ephesian church. Instead, it's more of a general epistle, a general epistle. And it said, particularly in the Colossian letter, that you read this to your people, you read this to your church, and you also give this epistle to the Laodiceans, and then also you read the Laodicean letter is not canonized in Scripture for us. We don't have that, that letter. But also there was a letter that Paul writ, wrote to the Laodiceans, and you read the letter to the Laodiceans. So there was a, an understanding that these letters would be circulated. Okay, That's what I'm saying. There was an understanding that this letter was not only going to be read by the baptized members of the Ephesians church, there was an understanding that it was going to be circulated among the churches at this time. And with Ephesus being one of the seven churches of Asia, there's an implication that probably this was circulated among all of those seven churches of Asia that Revelation was written to, right? <clears throat> so um, it's amazing in this general epistle of Ephesians that he begins immediately at the beginning of this with we have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ and God chose us in verse 4. He predestinated us in verse 5. He did it for his own glory in verse 6. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ in verse 7. He immediately begins the first building block of the church. The first building block of doctrine is that God chose us, right? First uh, John chapter four and verse nineteen. We love Him. Why? Because He first loved us, right? And I think that we can see from the way the Holy Spirit moved the Apostle Paul to write this general epistle to the Ephesians that uh, election and predestination are not the the um, master's level courses. They're not the advanced learning topics. This is the milk of the word, okay? But babes in Christ uh, partake on milk, and then when they grow and they mature and they have enough milk and they, and they uh, 
progress in their in their maturity, then there comes a time where you can have a little bit of meat instead of just milk. But all babes in Christ start out on milk. What's the milk? What's the, what's the thing that allows us to grow in our discipleship? The first uh, nutrients of that milk that allows us to grow is that God chose us. It's the very first thing. You see that? It's the very first thing in this epistle. It's the, the first things of the milk of the word, those basic things that children of God need. You know, there comes a time where you can dig into the word of God and learn more about the different aspects of justification and the different aspects of, of sanctification and the resurrection of the dead and glorification. All these, all these topics, we need to be studying the Bible. We need to be growing in, in uh, grace and in knowledge of the truth. There's so many beautiful things that you can mine from studying the Word of God diligently. But the first thing that a child of God needs to hear is that God chose you and God loves you. You see? That's the very first thing that they need to hear. Because uh, I, I don't join the church. You know, we, we call upon uh, people to repent and be baptized and join the church. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't join the church primarily because of a good message on prayer. You know, I don't join the church primarily because of uh, practical sanctification. Well, you have to understand what God's done for you before you understand the reason why we should be pursuing practical sanctification. Those are things that come along later. But there's a reason why the Spirit of God compels and guides His children to join the church. It's because of, as we talked about last week, Jesus Christ and him crucified, right? It's because he came in this world and died for your sins. And why did he do that? Because he chose you, because he loves you. You see, that's the basis, that's the building block that builds the church, right? The other things come after, okay? The other things come after. <clears throat> so this is the milk of the word. This is the, these are the basic building blocks of the church, the basic building blocks of doctrine. Now, if God chose us, the question inevitably comes, well, why did God choose us, right? Why? Why did God choose us? To have a little bit more information on that, we want to go to Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2. And in verse 1. Now, Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 1 does begin with an and, Okay? So that, mean, that means it connects to the first chapter. The chapter divisions are there for our benefit, but they are, are not in the original text, as you know. So it's a continuous thought all the way, even though the Apostle Paul did put a couple periods and semicolons in there <laughs> uh, just for placement. It's really one big thought, okay? Uh, and we're, we're jumping in to this portion of this of this larger thought, this larger topic at the beginning of chapter 2. <clears throat> and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past <clears throat> you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh, in the children of disobedience, 
among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Okay? So, what was the basis of God's choice? Let's go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 14 together. This is one that we reference very often, but I believe that we need to read this together. Psalm chapter 14, and in verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works, and there is none that doeth good. There's none that doeth good in our nature, totally depraved nature, apart from God's grace being shown to us to change our nature, to make us good, to have a holy and a righteous desire to do good works and to serve Him. Now, many people, if they try to explain election, would say, well, begrudgingly admit that God chose people, but... He chose those who would choose him, right? He he looked out over all of eternity, and these are the good people. These are the people that are going to live good enough lives. These are the people that are going to choose me in the future. So therefore, the people that are going to choose me, I chose them. Well, we know that's not good news, is it? (laughs) Because we find right here, uh, if that was the case, he would have chose nobody. Why? Because there's none that seeketh after God. There's none good, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. So God did, Psalm 14 and verse two, God did look out from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Who are the people in their nature that are gonna choose to seek God? They are all gone aside, verse three. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. You know, uh, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of, of uh, how people are regenerated. We talked on Wednesday night about the new birth. And what's the basis of the new birth? Is God uh, quickening his people uh, based on a response to an action that they perform? Put it another way, is regeneration conditional or unconditional? You know, God's willing to born you again, if you meet this criteria, then I'm willing to quicken you and willing to born you again. Well, if that is the case and we get total depravity right, how many people have the ability, and let's just say that's the case, right? Let's say that's the case that you have to meet some criteria. You have to be baptized, you have to believe, you have to live a good enough life, etc. Whatever the criteria is, let's say for a minute that you did have to meet that criteria and if you do that, then I'm willing to born you again. Well, how many people are going to meet that criteria? The Bible's pretty simple, isn't it? (laughs) When you take it for what it says, there's none that doeth good. Oh, I'm sure there's an exception to that. You haven't met my grandmother. Well, I'm glad glad your grandmother's a really sweet person. She may be born again by the Spirit of God already. But there's none that doeth good in our nature. Are there any exceptions to that? No, not one, Right? So when you get total depravity right, when you understand that we're dead in sin, we're not sick, right? This stuff we hear in Christianity that, you know, man's sick, he just needs good medicine, he's drowning, let's throw him a life. Well, he's not drowning, he's down at the bottom of the ocean, dead with a millstone around his neck, right? I mean, he doesn't have any hope. <laughs> a life vest doesn't do any good to somebody that's, a, that's dead at the bottom of the ocean, 
right? We're dead. And when we get that right, well, you know what? The only hope we must have is in something other than ourselves, right? The only hope we must have must be salvation by grace. The only hope we must have is must be God unilaterally quickening his people apart from their consent or acceptance or receiving of that. Why? Because they can't consent or accept or believe or, or, or receive, right? Why? Because we are dead. It's amazing when you get the total depravity right, how simple, how simple salvation by grace alone has to be, right? But when you miss the fall, when you miss what actually happened in the Garden of Eden, you know, he didn't say that in the day that you eat of um, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that you're going to stub your toe and you're going to be um, gasping for breath in a in the the lake of fire, you know, uh, and but you have the ability to be rescued from that lake lake of fire with this invitation of the gospel life raft or or life vest. You know, he didn't say that, did he? What did he say? <laughs> and the day you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. You know, and you get that right, and all of a sudden, salvation gets pretty simple. It must be of God. <laughs> it must be of something other than us. We can't do anything to believe or accept God. So when, when we understand that we're dead in sins, then we understand that it must be God that sovereignly quickens us. But for us to really understand how amazing grace is, we have to understand what a wretch we are to start with, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sin. That, that's sweet. <laughs> it's amazing how uh, people who... I think in their mind, think that they believe in grace. The message of God's sovereign grace is not that sweet of a sound to them. And I would dare say the reason that it's not as sweet of a sound to them is because they don't really believe that God saved a wretch like me. You know, total depravity in my, in my nature that there's, uh, Paul said in Romans chapter seven when he's describing his struggle with the flesh. I know in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. You know, if you've really come to that point, then you see yourself as a wretch, but instead the world tells you, well, you know, there's a little bit of good in everybody, right? There's a little bit of good in everybody. So you're not really that bad. So people get get their their rough their their feathers ruffled. They get a little offended when someone says, there's none that doeth good. There's none righteous, no, not one. You're a totally depraved, wretched sinner. And when you get that, now all of a sudden, the, the sound of amazing grace is very sweet to my ears. But, but if I still think that I'm good enough, I can, I can live a good enough life to go to heaven. I don't need Jesus as much as you really need. You don't think that you need Jesus. Why? Because I'm, I'm putting confidence in my works. I'm putting confidence in something that I do. Oh, but when you really see yourself in your wretched, deplorable, sinful state, boy, it's good news. You know, we're not going to take the time there to read Romans chapter 7, but that's essentially the point that Paul is getting to there in Romans 7. He, he, he has his whole life. I can almost, I can almost see the Apostle Paul as he's on the road to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus, 
and Jesus quickens him on the road to Damascus by calling him by name, or born again by the voice of the Son of God, and he says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And then immediately he acknowledges that this person that is calling me by name, this is my Lord. You know, who art thou? I don't even know who you are, but I know, I don't know your name, I don't know who you are, but I know that you are my sovereign master. And then he said, I'm Jesus. And then he says immediately, what wilt thou have me to do? And I think that we all go through that Romans 7 struggle at different points in our life. But I think to a large degree, what he's describing there in Romans chapter 7 was Paul's, uh, Saul's struggle before, during those three days when he was blind and didn't have any food before Ananias came and told him the good news of the gospel. I think he's describing the depth of the, of the struggle that he had during those three days. Because you, you got to understand, as an unregenerate man, he put all of his confidence in the law, right? He put all of his confidence in works. This is everything that I've done. And then he said, you know what, let's just go ahead and turn over there. Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. And he said, the, the commandment that I, I used to have confidence in the law, but I, I realized actually that I didn't... Uh, I didn't even really believe the law in my heart. I only knew that coveting was wrong because someone told me in my ears that it was wrong. You see, I, I didn't have this law written in my heart. And now I thought that I was righteous by obeying the law in an unregenerate state. I thought that God was pleased with me. But now all of a sudden, solely by the voice of the Son of God borning me again, now all of a sudden, this, uh, this structure of righteousness that I thought I had has totally been destroyed. Because I used to have put confidence in the law, and then I realized, wait a minute, I didn't even understand the law. I wasn't even obeying the law properly. And he said the commandment which was ordained to life, that, that's the new birth. Now, that's the commandment and the voice of the Son of God that comes and borns him again. The commandment which was ordained to life, instead, I found to be unto death. Why? Because isn't it amazing that before he was walking uh, in, in what he perceived to be obedience to the law, and in, a, in an unregenerate state, he thought that he was that he was righteous before God. Now, all of a sudden, that righteousness of God has been applied to his heart, he is righteous before God, but now, because the, the gospel hasn't came yet, because he doesn't understand that righteousness has to be solely in Jesus Christ, not by any work that I perform, now he is righteous, but he feels condemned and feels like if I die today, I am going to the, to the pits of hell. Why? Because he put confidence in his works. He put confidence in obedience to the law. And as he was there for three days, and I've, I've, y'all heard me say this many times, but, but Saul of Tarsus didn't all of a sudden decide he was going to have a three-day fast. I think he was so physically over... I mean, think about him. Not just consenting to the death of Stephen and them casting their coats at the feet of him, but he's persecuting the church. He, he's compelling the... I compelled men and women to blaspheme this holy name that now I believe in. And, he, and all of the weight of that was coming on him with no, he's by himself and the only people that's around him are self-righteous Pharisees like he used to be. <laughs> They're not gonna offer any relief, are they? 
And he goes down this route of, you know, I I have a new nature now. I know that I don't need to do that. I, I, I know I don't need to commit that sin, but instead I still feel that desire to commit that sin in my flesh. But now this good that I want to do now, I can't do it properly. And I can just see him there by himself in a room, by himself in Damascus. And for three days, he's, he is feeling this conflict within his soul that he's never had the conflict or conviction in his soul before. And the way that God's, uh, <laughs> the way that God's providence, I, I love how uh, Acts chapter 10, when Peter's being called, uh, to go preach to Cornelius, and he sees this vision. And he, God's telling him through that vision, what I've cleansed, don't call common or unclean. And as he's thinking about, what is this, what's this talking about? What's this talking about? Immediately in the midst of that, there's a knock at the door right then. You know, it's amazing how in God's providence, some things in God's providence, he has years in the planning and years in the working. And you see when things come to fruition that God's had this planned for years and he's been lining up events for years upon years upon years. But there's other times when God's providence happens in a matter of seconds. It happens in a matter of minutes. And I love how at exactly when Peter was wondering, hmm, I wonder what this vision means right at that moment there's a knock at the door and oh and these gentiles show up out of nowhere saying they're looking for me well all of a sudden spiritual bells start ringing right oh wait a minute i think god's not talking about food i think he may be talking about gentile all of a sudden things start clicking and i and just in my head and this is just dramatization so take it for just that but i can see the apostle paul going through this this conflict in it in himself and and he's talking about the the law that i used to used to try to obey now i realize i can't obey it i'm, I'm a wretched sinner i have no ability to obey this law and then i delight uh let's, let's read in verse 21 i find then a law that when i would do good evil was present with me but i delight in the law of god after the inner man but i see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I can just see the Apostle Paul getting to that point, and he's saying, O oh, wretched man that I, I've got no hope in myself. I, there's nothing I can do to be righteous before holy God. And in my mind, I can just at that point hear a knock at the door, and that's when Ananias shows up <laughs> and says, You are a chosen vessel. You've been chosen by God. You've been saved by grace. And the reason why you feel different than you did three, day, three days ago is because Jesus Christ born you again. He told him about it. And he immediately, and I love Paul, he didn't just get baptized. He immediately went preaching in the streets of Damascus as soon as he had it. And he learned a lot more. I tell you, this, this tells you the type of zeal of evangelism we should have for the gospel because there came a time where Paul understood a whole lot more about justification by faith and justification by works and all these finer points of doctrine but the only thing that he needed to go preach in the streets of Damascus 
was Ananias telling him, Jesus Christ died for your sins. He chose you before the world began and he paid for your sins on the cross and you're going to be with him in heaven. Do you believe that, Saul? Yes, I believe it. Put me in the water and I'm going to go tell everybody about it. That's all you need to know. <laughs> That's all you need to know is Christ came and died for your sins and you didn't. It's not because of anything you did. It's solely by his free and sovereign grace. That's all you need to know to tell other people about it. Now, there came a time where Paul had a lot more learning, but he didn't wait to learn all those things. He immediately went into the streets of Damascus and started preaching. But in my mind's eye, I understand he wrote this later to the Romans church, but, but I can just see that this is the struggle that he's going through there in Damascus. And when he finally reaches the end of himself... <laughs> When he finally realizes in his own heart the reality that's the truth anyway, that I am a wretched man. There, the deeper I go, it doesn't get better and better. It gets darker and darker. It gets worse and worse. And he finally reaches the point and throws up his hands and says, Oh, wretched man that I am. And again, I can just envision that that's when, when he makes that proclamation publicly. That's when Ananias knocks at the door and says, Brother Saul. <laughs> you know, I feel pretty alone here in this moment. I, I feel like nobody uh, is, is on the same team as me. And then this, this man who probably had family members that had been persecuted, probably had family members that had been uh, hurt by Paul. Ananias says, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. So when you get to that point of, of understanding who we are in our nature, it's such a burden release. It's such, it's such a blessing to be able to then fall at the feet of the cross and say, it has to be of God, right? It has to be solely by Jesus Christ. So going back to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, this is who we used to, and there's so many places in Scripture that describe the depth of our depravity but if you have confidence in your own works to think that you're righteous before God, then you will never have true peace in your conscience. You'll never have true peace in your conscience. This is who we used to be. <clears throat> this is, describes the, the depth of our depravity. Many other places in Scripture give you more detail on it, but that we are dead in sins. Where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh. Remember, what's the aspects, uh, what are the characteristics of the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You know, I didn't care anything about spiritual things because I didn't have a spiritual nature at that time. The only thing I cared about was doing what felt good in the moment. That's the lust of the flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. And aren't you glad for the change of direction that happens in verse 4, right? But God, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. I'm really looking forward to our meeting the uh, second weekend in November and be prayerful for that, and uh, looking forward to having, Lord willing, Elder Silas Ford with us, and I had the privilege of 
going to Kenya with him in 2019. And I think one of the best sermons I've ever heard was Brother Silas when we were at the Tendere Fellowship. And he preached on, but God. And I don't know if I've ever seen anyone get happier in preaching than those people when, when mm-hmm. Silas was saying, do you not know where your next meal is coming from? But God. Mm-hmm. Do you not, you, you have a pain that you don't, you, you have no relief. You know, they don't have Tylenol laying around everywhere out there. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a pain that doesn't go away uh, and, and you have no ability for you to know how you're going to feed your, any of this, but God who is rich in mercy. And then ultimately you get to the, the uh, eternal, the spiritual aspect of that. Uh, do you feel to be a wretched sinner with no hope of salvation? Well, but God who is rich in mercy. The Lord richly blessed both Silas in preaching of that, that message. But God who is rich in mercy. Now, mercy is not giving us what we do deserve, right? Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. That's, that's, that's above and beyond. But mercy is that we are condemned criminals and we don't receive the sentence. Why? Because someone else has paid the penalty, Jesus Christ, right? But God is rich in mercy. When the apostles were asking Jesus, uh, we talked about this recently, Matthew chapter 18, How many times do I really have to forgive people? I mean, somebody wrongs me. How many times do I really have to forgive? Seven? Is that okay? Is that it? He said, no, 70 times seven. But mercy is not giving someone what they do deserve. And when we talk about forgiveness, forgiveness is not just that I misinterpreted something, you know, I had my feelings hurt, but really it was just a big miscommunication. Forgiveness is that someone has a legitimate offense and debt against me. And because of God's love toward me and his forgiveness for me in Jesus Christ, I'm willing to forgive that. But there comes a point in our mind, you know, Peter was not, I don't believe, trying to find a loophole. I think he was just legitimately struggling with a, with a offense he had with a brother. There comes a point in our nature where we're going to run out of mercy, right? There, gonna, there comes a point where I'm going to have you reap what you sow. There comes a point where you have to pay the piper, right? I'm not just going to continually show you mer- and not give you what you do deserve. That, see, that's the point of mercy. We have to first understand that we do deserve it. We do deserve the penalty. But there comes a point where I'm not just going to continually not give you what you've rightfully earned in a negative sense. And if God's dealing with billions of his people, it seems like there would come a point where he would be running a little bit low on mercy, right? (laughs) It seems like that there would come a point where the rations would get a little bit low and finally God uh, stands up and acts like God and says, you know what, I'm tired of these rebellious Israelites. And, and, and guess what? <laughs> Aren't you glad we have intercessor, by the way? There came a point in the Old Testament where God did get so sick of these people. I'm tired of showing these people mercy. And then that's when Moses stood up and said, now remember, now remember Lord, you love them. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Don't forget you love them. Don't forget you made a, co a covenant. Don't forget that, that you said you were going to bring them into the promise. I know, I, you know, I agree. <laughs> Moses would probably agree with the Lord in that moment, right? He knew how, how difficult they were. Moses was like, Lord, I agree with you. <laughs> I'm tired of giving these people mercy too. But your glory is more important. That's essentially what Moses told the Lord. It's like your glory and your promises are more important than you giving them what they deserve in this moment. Aren't you glad that we have that intercessor, right? Mm -hmm. Where when we've ju justly earned it, God who is rich in mercy finally reaches a point where uh, he continues to forgive. I, I love, uh, what was it, Psalm 136, I think. I, I tried to look that up this morning. Um, the one where every single verse of the psalm concludes with his mercy endures forever. Every single verse. His mercy endures forever. He is rich in mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved. I mean, I don't know what else you can call it, but great, but great just doesn't do it justice, you know? I mean, that's about, that's about the best you can do, you know? But great just doesn't do it justice. And then the Apostle Paul there in Ephesians chapter 3 gets, gets all up in the spirit. I love, uh, I love reading the Apostle Paul sometimes. And you can tell that he's, that he's just a preacher getting up in the spirit while he's preaching. Because most of these, there's a couple he wrote himself, but most of these he is dictating this and someone else is writing it down. Okay, Most of these... He's speaking it, and someone else is writing it down. And I can just see the Apostle Paul getting fired up in demonstration of the Spirit and power as he begins to write. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. And this is my concluding the doctrinal, so to say, portion of the first half of the Ephesian letter. This is my prayer for the church, and this is the prayer for every pastor. This is the prayer for every minister and, and I hope that by the direction of the Spirit of God that we can have you understand more fully God's love for you after every single worship service than you did before. And if we've done that, then we have been a good minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And he says, this is my prayer for the church. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. For this cause, bow uh, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, church, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. And this is where I can just see the, uh, the preacher Paul just getting all up in the spirit. And then by the end of it, the only thing he can say is just, is just amen. So he says, I desire for the church, may be able to comprehend with all saints. And wouldn't it be fun to uh, be the person that's dictating this <laughs> as you're watching the apostle Paul preach this? I mean, it's just a few words right here, uh, but can you imagine the spirit of God in the room uh, when the Apostle Paul is, is preaching this and you're the person with the privilege of dictating it, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height 
and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. And I, I love how he's just getting up in it himself. You know, it's amazing that we can't even understand the love of God. I can't understand it as a preacher of the gospel. It passeth not. I want you to understand it better, church, but I can't get it. I can't understand. It's beyond any of our capacity to understand, which passeth knowledge. And I desire for you, church, to be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he's just keep, he just continued to escalate, right? He's continuing to get more excited. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. You know, and I don't understand that's the Holy Spirit right there, but whoever was, uh, was uh, hearing him preach that, I guarantee you they said amen at the end of the day <laughs> as he was dictating that. The breadth, length, and depth, and height. The breadth. You know, God's separated our, uh, our, us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. I mean, that's, an, that's a never-ending line, right? The breadth and the length, it's going to be an, e an eternal love, right? It doesn't end. It doesn't end. And the depth, Jesus went down the depths of, of the grave to redeem us. And then the height, I mean, if God's ways are so much higher than our ways and his thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts, then how much more so is his love that we can't comprehend, right? The heights of God's love. And now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. And when you, when you understand the depth of our sin, when you understand the depth of our depravity, and then you see that God has given you these spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ, He chose me, not because there was anything worthy of choosing, okay? Nothing worthy of choosing, but solely by His free and sovereign grace. Deuteronomy chapter 7 talking about Old Testament Israel, but pointing toward the elect. He said, I didn't choose you because you were more in number than any other nation. I didn't choose you because there was anything impressive about you. The only reason I chose you, the only reason you're a holy nation, the only reason you're a peculiar people, the only reason is because the Lord loved you. Right? Because the Lord loved you. That's the only reason... That we have, you know, God chose us, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. He chose us and elected us in verse 4. He predestinated us in verse 5. Why did he do all that? Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. You know, there are going to be billions. God is so worthy of praise that if he never created man at all, his glory and his power and his majesty would still be to the same level that it is right now if he'd never created anything. Okay? But because his glory is so great, he saw fit to create a people. So his glory would be publicly manifested. Okay? And he created us and he redeemed us so that we would glorify him. And he didn't call us and... And choose us so we would glorify him because I made a choice, because I lived a good enough life. What are we called to glorify him for? 
to the praise of the glory of His grace. Right? Why did God do all this? <laughs> why did God do? Why did God create us? Why did? Why did He? I mean, He could have zapped the serpent in the garden, right? I mean, He He didn't cause it, but He suffered Adam and Eve to do that. Why did He do that? He could have prevented it. Why did He do that? Because He is glorified in the redemption of sinners. And his glory is more expounded by there being billions of God's elect in time and in eternity to praise him for his goodness and his glory and his grace. Praise God that he saw fit to choose us. And I pray that we can, in the week to come, meditate on just the amazing love of God. Because, you know, when you do that, when you do that, it's so much easier to love other people, isn't it? You know? What's the greatest commandment? To love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You know, it's easy. If you understand what God's done for you, it's pretty easy to love God. That's pretty easy. It's the natural, reasonable, it's the reasonable response. And if you love God that much and you understand what God's done for you and loved you and you didn't deserve it, that makes it a whole lot easier to love your neighbor as yourself, doesn't it? You see? So we have to understand what God's done for us as we understand all of these exhortations to practical godliness. And it all starts with the love of God, right? It all starts with election. It all starts with God's choosing of us when we were in a wretched, deplorable state, nothing good inside of us, but God saw fit to love us anyway for the purpose that we would glorify Him for doing it. And I pray we can be found fulfilling that commission to the best of our ability glorifying Him because of His grace and salvation in our life. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia.pbc.org.